I was going to live with him while I found my own place to live in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I moved my stuff into his house. And then later that day, I got the call that he had died from a blood clot. When he died, I was actually at the lowest point in my whole life. Prior, like prior. When, yeah, I feel like I've been able to work through a lot of pain. And I, sometimes I just want to be like, look, I'm begging you to do mushrooms. <laughs> I got him a plaque that said, best dad in the cemetery. Thank you again for being here. It really means a lot. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. No, thank you so much for asking me. Of course. Yeah, this is cool. It's, yeah. it's always interesting to meet someone for the first time and when we talk about this. Yeah, I know. Let's like talk about the darkest, <laughs> deepest thing. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about the darkest, deepest thing yeah. the first time meeting each other. Yeah. So Laura, again, I want to thank you for hopping on here. For anyone listening, I, I found her on Instagram performing some comedy. One particular clip was in regards to uh, the death of your father. And I don't know, I forget, honestly, I forget, I feel like you've done a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think one of them was the Father's Day one. Yeah. That's probably the one you saw. Yeah. It was I like think. next to his gravestone or something. Yeah. I got him a plaque that said, Best Dad in the Cemetery <laughs> for I Father's mean, Day. You imagine you start getting uh, slack for people there saying, That's not true. My dad was the best. And they start pointing yeah, exactly. to their. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's uh, why I wanted to do it because I, I just thought that was so funny if people like saw it and thought, like, Wait. Like, my dad is, you know, just to, like, diss all the other dads for no reason. And that's why I was, I'm excited to talk to you because, as many people know, as the host, I, I cope with humor. I personally think laughter is literally the best for getting through anything in life. And that's uh, maybe a certain flavor for certain people. But um, let's just kind of get right into it in regards to your story and how death has affected you in your life, wherever that begins. Yeah, it's affected me. So my dad died in 2020, and I had been living in New York doing comedy. I moved to New York for comedy in 2015, and I was performing for a few years. I was doing improv and sketch mostly, and then I kind of stopped, did other things. You know, I worked in the nonprofit sector for a bit. I I worked at a space center with children, like leading them on simulated space missions for a bit which was really fun. But ultimately, I felt like I had given up on comedy. And then during the pandemic, I was living in Brooklyn, and I was determined to stay in New York when everything, like, shit hit the fan. But finally, in September of 2020, I finally was like, I got to go back home to Atlanta. And my dad and I were really close. And so part of why I did that was to be closer to him. And I moved down the East Coast. Like, I... I drove, but the day before I left for the drive, he had fallen down his back stairs and he, he tripped over his groceries. Like it's, it's just so random. And he didn't actually die from the fall. He he got a blood clot later during surgery. So he had broken his femur bone and then he was in the hospital as I was driving down the East Coast. And then we had planned like I was gonna go pick him up the next day. I get there, I move. I w- moved in with him because I was going to live with him while I found my own place to live in Atlanta. So I moved my stuff into his house. And then later that day, I got the call that he had died from a blood clot. And I, I didn't get to see him first because it was COVID. And there were all these things. I couldn't go to the hospital. And I expected him to come af- out of the hospital. So, yeah, that turned my life upside down. But ultimately, that's why... I'm now here in LA is that kind of made me reevaluate everything and made me realize I want to try comedy again because life is short. And I was like, 
yeah, it motivated me to give it another shot. So I moved out here last October. And after like two years of kind of dealing with all the stuff that you have to deal with after someone dies, which I feel like people don't talk about enough, like logistics and all those things, like it's a lot. And yeah, it was really hard, but I'm here now. And that's kind of, yeah, that's the story. I'm glad you're here now. <laughs> Thank and it, you. And it's, it's a few things I definitely want to unpack there. Um, I mean, the first thing is the unexpected death. You know, there's various types of ways to go. My dad died unexpectedly as well. And I feel like it's a, it's just a different process uh, compared to, I guess, knowing someone's going to die. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, it's all kind of a mess regardless when someone dies in general. But what do, what do you recall after that phone call? Because like, you know, it was a complete shock. So, yeah, it was, what makes it, it was just, there's so many parts of the story that are just, like, I still feel, it feels really surreal. So I was actually, I had gotten an Airbnb to, I moved my things into his house, but I was staying in an Airbnb that night because he, it was COVID. So I was going to isolate and then get a COVID test before I moved in with him officially. So I was, I had booked this Airbnb on this farm, this 200 acre farm in the middle of like nowhere, Georgia. And I was like walking with my dog in the middle of this field. And when I got that call and I, I just like, yeah, the call, like it's such a, it's such a blur. Um, it came like my mom is who called me and my parents weren't married, but the hospital had called my brother and then my brother called my mom and she called me and yeah, it was just like, I was standing in the middle of this field and yeah, I'll never forget it. Was standing in the field almost, uh, I don't know, I get this like whole picture painted that it was, I don't want to say meant to be in that field, but, yeah, but yeah. you know what I mean? It's, I feel like just the way you've said it, I just got this like picturesque vision of being in that field and it was like a weird moment of being alone, surrounded by no one except for you. Yeah. And I guess your dog. Yeah, and my dog. And there's part of this story which I've never told because I want it to be a funny part, but I don't know if it is. But um, actually, so my dog, she's kind of bizarre. And when she gets anxious, she humps my leg and... I started like screaming like when I got this call and my dog started like humping my leg as I'm getting the news. <laughs> That's a weird kink. <laughs> Did that bring any levity in the moment? I've, or? Like, I've like wanted to work this into my standup and I haven't written it out yet in a way that's funny. But yeah, you're the first person I'm telling about uh, that. Amazing. Yeah. Live on yeah. TED Talks, the, <laughs> yeah. the humped up death, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm, like, getting this most devastating news of my life, and I'm, like, shrieking, and my dog decides this is a great time to just, like, hump my fucking leg. Your, your dog uh, sets like, your no. vulnerability. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I guess that's, uh, um, did, did you, in that moment, did it relieve anything? You're no, just so fucked I was up? like, what? The, I was like, please stop. Just, like, yeah. I was <laughs> like, yeah, stop. Literally the worst no. no, but like looking back now, it's kind of funny. Yeah, um, I guess one of, that's one of those things yeah. you look back on and you think, okay, maybe something else. Yeah. Um, so so you, there's two years logistically that you said no one talks about. What did you mean? Oh, I meant um, like dealing with an estate, mm. like paperwork, burial stuff. Like, I don't know. It was, I mean, it's just a huge pain in the ass if I'm being honest. Like, does that make me sound heartless? No, Do, no. You know I've, what I've I mean? Before, like, yeah. like, um, just like working, like dealing with all the paperwork and stuff, and like it, the the stuff in his house, going through the stuff in his house, like 
there was a lot of shit in that house. I feel like that's what people don't talk about. It's interesting you say that because I was on the phone with someone who brought up some, I didn't back check this, but some Swedish custom that people, even when people aren't expected to die, apparently they go through people's houses and clean things out that aren't necessary and kind of get things in order, I believe, prior to any death, which is interesting because that is, that's a big deal. I think that's why a lot of people get their things in order, even if they know they're not going to die, because it's, you're leaving that to the people that are grieving and right. it's like the worst time to have to do that. Yeah. It was, it was weirdly, well, so what was really strange for me is I had moved into his house because I was going to live with him and then he was suddenly gone. So then, and he lived in Covington, Georgia, which is like an hour outside of Atlanta, Georgia, it's pretty much middle of nowhere. And like I, I lived in his house without him for three months by myself. That's that's strange. Yeah, and also like he had just walked out of his house and never came back. So like all of his stuff was in the same place, and I couldn't move it forever. Like I couldn't move his toothbrush, I couldn't move his deodorant on the sink. Like I I I had to like it was weirdly comforting in a way. It made me feel like he was still there. And but then like after three months, I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Um, but then, but then I still had to, like, my brother and I, over the course of, like, a year, had to go through the house. And we were, you know, fortunate that he l- left a house to us, you know. But, yeah, it was a lot to go through all of that stuff. Is moving his stuff, because I, and I'm getting another picture in my head of, uh, was, was it symbolic in a sense of moving on when you had to go through his house? and? Yeah, it was. It It was... It was hard, but it was um, it was just hard because there was so much stuff. He kept everything, like, and a lot of it. At first, I thought it was really sweet. Like, he kept my drawings from when I was a kid, and I was like, "This is so heartwarming." But then I just kept finding more and more and more. I'm like, "Oh my god, he never threw anything away!" Like, this is so much. He kept my rock collection from when I was a kid, like. Which is so sweet, but it's like, Dad, now I have to throw away my rocks. Like <laughs> you didn't keep the rocks. Yeah, no, I was like, I'm not gonna keep these. They weren't even cool. <laughs> like they were just like brown rocks. Yeah. Like I was just like, now I have to get rid of my rock collection. You know, yeah. Um, because yeah, there was just so much in his house, and it was just really hard and deciding what to keep, what not to keep, and working with my brother who. Also, you know, I felt like wanted to keep more than he he kept, he kept a lot of the childhood stuff. Like, I don't know why. Like, my dad kept all of our toys. Is that? Uh, I don't know. I don't, is know. That I, don't, weird? I don't know. I'm having a hard time thinking about what that. You know, it's not a good thing, a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not a bad thing or a good thing. But it's like it was just really overwhelming. Like, and the attic was full of not only our stuff and his stuff, but my his mother's stuff, like tons of her stuff. So it was like. It was just so much stuff. It's kind of ironic that he kept a lot of things and you had to clear out all his things. Yeah. You know, that's got to be a weird situation. Yeah. That's, again, it was like, you it's, know, you felt real, weird. Like, real. yeah, it's like there's this random vase that I was like, I feel so bad getting rid of this. But, you know, it's those little things about the whole process that are sometimes the most vital and 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 weird in many ways because the the basic questions are you know how did you feel what did you go through emotionally but then you got all these little moments of cleaning the house like you said the logistics seeing what he left around almost learning more about your dad after he left by seeing right. these things which was also really interesting yeah in a way it's, and that's why it's it's funny because I I think I think about that about what's around my place 
I honestly think about this a lot, but what stuff do I have in like the junk drawer or in my closet that I don't remember that might be weird? Because if I die and my mom has to clean my place out, like, I don't know if, if I, yeah. I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm good now if anything happens. Yeah. I don't have any too much weird shit leave, lying around, but it's like a weird thought that I have about the aftermath if I go, what people have to take care of. Yeah. That, that is a big part of the process and yeah. it's stressful. I think about it a lot, especially after going through this. Because my dad, there was weird shit. And what kind of weird shit? <laughs> Besides rocks. Uh, rocks aren't even that weird. I don't know if I should <laughs> tell you. <laughs> Based on your face, maybe you shouldn't, but I think you should. But hey, I'm not going to squeeze it out of you. How weird are we talking on a scale of one to ten? It was pretty weird. We talk- uh, not so. <laughs> it's not like a sex doll, is it? Uh, no, but. Stuff kind of like that. Okay, you know, we don't have to. We don't have to go there. But um, <laughs> no, basically, okay, I'll tell you. But maybe can we edit it out? Uh, we could say, and then we'll leave it uh, at the edge of the seat of the audience whether we keep it in or not. Okay, so my dad had all these like cyber girlfriends. Oh, well, how do you keep a cyber girlfriend in the house? Well, he didn't. Sorry, no, that wasn't like we didn't find that many weird physical things. Like okay. we found some porn, uh, okay. but not like. Physically, we didn't find that much weird stuff, but he had, like, these cyber girlfriends who he was, like, giving money to online. Oh, interesting. Yeah. How and do you they find they came that? for me. came for you. They came. They were after money. No shit. Yeah. What? It was nuts. What does that even mean? Like they, <laughs> wa- they, wa- they wanted to keep going? or they? Yeah. They were, like, their sugar daddy died. What? And then they came after me. So sugar daughter? So... He had these, like, relationships with women, and I think they were real people, um, and I think that he—my dad was very tech-savvy. He was very smart. I don't think he was just being scammed. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Like, he was giving money to these women. These women were, like, scammers, but I don't—I don't know. But um, basically, they found me on Facebook and Instagram, like, because he had told all of his— like girlfriends that he had a daughter. And so these bastards. Yeah. And so um and he was like giving them money so so they came like messaging me and at first I was really confused and there was one he had actually told me about. She lived in Uganda with her daughter and she actually called me on Instagram like she FaceTimed me on Instagram, you know? And my dad had actually told me about her, how he had this relationship with a woman in Uganda and she called me, like, with her daughter, and I had to break the news to her, like, on Instagram video. It was insane. But then she got really crazy. She changed her last name to my last name. What? After? Yeah. yeah not not officially. Like, on Facebook. And, um, and started t- saying, like, how much my dad was helping her financially. And, like, and at first I thought she was the only one. So I was, like, thinking, like, okay, I'm going to continue to help this woman. But... Then I realized there were all these other women that he was talking to. Unreal. This is like a whole other twist to the story. Yeah. What does that make you feel? Uh, There was one woman who had his name tattooed on her back, and she sent me a photo. Oh, man. (laughs) So when did this die down? When did they— And, like, I don't—I don't actually know for sure. Like, maybe she photoshopped the photo, but it looked real. And there was, like, angel wings on the side of my dad's name. This yeah. is interesting. I'm sure this happens. Probably, it's probably not that rare of a thing, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, so, yeah, I've actually heard of other people. Someone the other night when I was doing stand-up was talking about how um, they had someone, like, impersonate their dad online. Like, people try to scam you after, like, 
like on the internet, you will get people who try to scam you to try to go after money. I'm and surprised, yeah. so yeah, like there's one woman who sent me a photo of her lower back with my dad's name. And I'm like, why the hell are you sending me this? And I'm realizing like these women, they were like trying to prove their relationship with my dad to be like, oh, like, like we had a relationship. Right. Justified and continued yeah. on. And one of them, like. <laughs> what does this do to your head in this Dude, time? It was so nuts. <laughs> she like, she was like, your dad sent me, um, your dad sent me this emerald ring, like with, you know, diamonds and emeralds on it. And she was like, it's the same ring that he gave you. And I'm thinking like, my dad never gave me a ring with emeralds and diamonds. Like, what the fuck? Like, did he tell you that I did? Like, and then we found, this is so fucked up. You can't. Um, like we found more of those rings, and they weren't real. Like yeah, like a collection of rings. Yeah, but he was like sending. Hey, good for him. Whatever, man. He's you know he's living it up in many ways. If you depending on how you look at she it. She was like, and I sent him. She was like, I sent him a crepe myrtle tree, like I guess seeds that she's okay because he did really like that tree. And she and she was like, will you go and see if he planted it in the backyard? It was like. 10 p.m. I get a message from this random woman like she was in Amsterdam actually and she's like will you go see if your dad planted the crepe myrtle I sent him and I was like you know fuck it yeah sure I'll go look in the backyard for this fucking tree (laughs) and then you know I go outside it's like 10 p.m. I'm like looking around I'm like I don't there's no fucking tree back here (laughs) But I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I was like, yes, I see it. It's beautiful. (laughs) That's sweet, I guess. That's kind of, you just like Photoshop a fake tree in your backyard. No, I thought about it, but I thought about sending her just a random photo. Damn, what a unique part of the grief process to have to handle that. And just just in case to edit it out, we're back to then. And you're going to have to pay for a subscription to hear that story just in case we edit it out. (laughs) Um, What is the dynamic between you and your brother in regards to the process? And and mixed with that question, how did how did you feel you handled it in regards to your grief process? Like, what what kind of state were you in during this? Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I feel like when he first died, it was suddenly like the me that has like all this anxiety and like just doom thinking all the time, like because I've always struggled with anxiety and depression, like, I felt like suddenly I kind of didn't allow myself to go down that route. Like, I was like, I wouldn't let myself, for, like, the first few weeks, I was like, this is not the time to, like, engage with your negative thoughts. This is the time to, like, act and get through this. And I felt like, I don't know, I I felt like there was this version of me that, like, came out that that really helped me through it and... I suddenly had all this strength that I didn't know I had, and I was able to really push through it in the first, like, few weeks. Um, But then, like, suddenly, like, things started to—I don't know. I guess it started to hit me, like, more as the shock wore off. I don't know if that was really the answer to your question. No, no, no. There's really no wrong answer. So in regards to that strength that you're saying you came from, that came to you, you didn't feel like there was a trigger for that besides the event itself? Was there anything that kind of drove that strength that came out of you or just literally felt like it was just, it just happened? Um, I kind of feel like it just happened. And what I didn't say before was like when he died, I was actually at the lowest point in my whole life. Prior, prior. When, yeah. And like everything about my life had fallen apart. I was in New York, the pandemic had hit, my roommates lost their jobs, so my housing situation fell apart. My finances were a shit show. Like, I was, like, working for a nonprofit. I was, like, 
not doing well at work. And then I like could hardly afford anything. Like my friends, like I had had a falling out with like a good friend. Like I was actually struggling. Like I had an addiction to Adderall. Like I was struggling. Like I was not in a good place at all. Like my whole life was like spinning out of control. And then when he died, I was already at the lowest point of my life. And I felt like, I just felt like I have to get it together right now. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it was like the shock and the event and being in the lowest point in my life that like, yeah. So do you think there was almost only way up? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. It's interesting because it feels like that would be almost the worst. You'd think it'd be the worst time. Right. Because you're already so low in so many ways. Right. But that's an interesting turn where maybe that was, it could have been the best time if yeah. And it, based on how you reacted and it felt like you, you got yourself out of that. Yeah. That's yeah. an ironic. And, and it's also interesting. You said, you, you know, you struggle with, uh, you struggled or, with anxiety and depression and you perhaps didn't push through that so well. That's all you decided on that. Um, but then you were able to kind of push the negative thoughts to your side during this. So yeah. what was that difference that you weren't able to cope with it without this to this? I think it was just like this shock. I think it was just like, I have to get through this. Like, I can't just dwell in this negative thinking right now. Like, I just, there's just, just not an option. What were the, because what were I the won't negative thoughts? Get through this. Well, just like my everyday negative thoughts that beat myself up all the time, you know, those, those yeah, kinds would, of thoughts. Yeah, no, I get it. I'm, I'm just curious. <laughs> You're like, to, which one? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the ones that are like, you know, like depressed thoughts, like you're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. Those thoughts. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I always I'm, I talk to people as if I'm like we all have those thoughts right and they're like oh no Laura you're depressed. <laughs> 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 I mean, I think yeah. we, all, we do have all we do have negative thoughts. I battle with that all the time, but I think there's levels to it for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so do you feel like you've overcome that in many ways? Um, yeah, it's still something I deal with, but I I do think that going through this has helped me a lot. And going through this has helped you in regards to, and how, like how just um to be really honest with you. Part of it was I started doing psychedelics, like, to help with my grief. Very nice. Okay. And I had never—I had done mushrooms once before my dad passed away. But so I was in his house, and he died at the end of September and then of 2020. And then in December, one of my friends in Atlanta had a birthday party, and she invited me, and she was, like, doing this— hike across all over the Atlanta Beltline, like hitting up breweries and stuff. But she was determined to make it like a real hike. Like she did some crazy amount of miles and I don't remember, but I met up with her for her birthday party at this brewery. And she's like, Hey, we're on acid. Do you want some? And I didn't tell her that I had never done it before. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. Like, and I had the most beautiful, amazing experience. And it was like, I felt like I worked through some of my grief. And what was really nice was like my friends and I, we were just walking through Atlanta and we went through this like incredible tunnel and we had a speaker too. So we had this good music going and it was just suddenly so beautiful. We all all started getting emotional and I started crying and my friends held me. And there was just something so beautiful about like my childhood friends being the ones who were there when I was like going through this and they just hugged me and I was crying and I felt like 
I was like, there's some spiritual thing going on in this tunnel. <laughs> I don't That's know. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I felt like connected to my dad. Um, and I, I had never really been a spiritual person before that. But I definitely found spirituality through his death. Very specific to that mushroom trip. Well, that that was um, no. I feel like I was already finding it after he passed away. Like, but then that like kind of launched me into a whole other way of it. And I know that's not like people will dismiss that and they'll be like, "Oh, like you're on drugs. Like it's not spiritual." Like, but you know, I don't know. I there's like. This thought that, like, when you're on psychedelics, like, you're basically your mind is like a radio receiver and it can pick up on different frequencies if you have your receiver set to a different station, which can be done with a substance. Like, that's like a concept that I buy into. I get it. Yeah. I truly get it. I mean, I, yeah. I think, uh, I, I mean, they call it drug, this or that, but. It's, it's real. Unless you've done it, you know, like I've done mushrooms plenty of time. And yeah. for me, I've, I haven't I haven't done it too many times of just like, oh, let's just do it to have a blast. Like, I, that's a lie, actually. I definitely just lied. I've done it just to have fun. But I feel like most of the times when I go in a little deeper, yeah. it's for a different it's for a more of a, a purposeful reason with a lot more intention. Right. And yeah. I've had plenty of moments and even um a couple months ago when I did it, it was a very it was very it's very spiritual. I had moments mm -hmm. that I that still stick with me that I think have shifted some of my perspectives. And so I believe in it. It's just interesting to hear that that thought of how psychedelics have gotten you through your grief because I've heard plenty of studies and stuff coming out now, microdosing, but that yes. was a full on trip. Yes. So I'm curious of the, of, you know, the benefits of psilocybin and doing mushrooms on a microdose aspect compared to your experience of having a full trip and yes. a spiritual experience. Yeah. So that was actually, that was an acid trip. That Sorry, first yes. trip. Acid. No, right. no worries. Um, and then after that, I started doing mushrooms and, I was doing macrodoses. I was going on, you know, I was doing trips. But it was kind of, I, I kind of just went on this journey where I, I I couldn't have gotten any luckier with the friend group that I found in Atlanta because I had some friends I knew there from growing up because that's where I'm from. I don't know if I had said that earlier. But I found this friend group through someone I went to college with when I got there. And I just found the most incredible group of people. And I started we started doing mushrooms together and they would kind of be the same where we'd like have fun and party for the first hour or so, a couple hours. But then I would tell them, I'm like, at a certain point, I'm going to cry and I'm going to need to go into a room and like work through some shit. And that would always happen. And it would be funny because I like suddenly the tears would start streaming down my face and my friends would look at me and I was like, it's happening. <laughs> and, like, and I would just go, like, sometimes I had friends with me, like, uh, one of my best friends, Carolyn, like, she was there multiple times, like, helping me talk through it. And sometimes I just went into a room alone and cried and, like, worked through stuff and was able to access, like, feelings that I couldn't access when I was sober. And so, yeah, I feel like I had these trips that really helped me and with the support of my friends. And then that led me to microdosing, which has continued to help me. Um, Your what? Sorry? That led me to microdosing. Like got it, got going it, got it, got on macrodosing trips. Like I eventually started microdosing as well. So can, can you take me through some of those, from what you remember, some of those working through moments about what the conversation was in your head? Or did you feel it was just literally letting it out that helped? Um, one that really stands out in my mind is just like talking about things that I 
felt guilty about, about my relationship with my dad, like with my friend Carolyn and just like, just sobbing and like feeling it, like feeling a pain that I like hadn't really felt before, you know, and, and just being able to let that out and like get it off my chest. And what did you feel guilty about? And now I'm trying to think what. Sometimes it's possible. There is sometimes a guilt there yeah. that you know it feels like guilt, but sometimes you don't know what you're guilty about. Yeah, I remember. Well, there's several things I felt guilty about, and I don't remember exactly what the story and then was. You're not, you don't feel guilty anymore, so you threw yeah. it, it over <laughs> the shoulder. It might have been like a really dumb one. Um, because I remember talking to her about a really dumb thing I felt guilty about, uh, where my dad had, like sent me this umbrella one time when I was living in New York, and it just like pissed me off because I. <laughs> I didn't have any, like, I had lived in, like, a closet in New York. I had no space. And my dad kept sending me shit, which was really sweet. It was his way of, like, you know, showing me love. And I just remember when he sent me the umbrella, I was like, I don't have, I don't have space for a fucking umbrella. I, I live in a shoebox, like, and I remember just, like, not being thankful to him for it. And then, yeah, that was just some random thing that after he died, I was like, I didn't thank him for the umbrella. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's a random example. There were other more serious things. No, but, but that's, yeah. honest, that's that's as little as that seems, that's huge because those are the, the oddities that kind of creep up on us because those, right. those little moments actually matter. And yeah. I can relate to thinking back to things at the time seem like an annoyance or seem like such a big deal. And then I fast forward to, you know, years later not having my father and I look back at similar moments. Yeah. It wasn't an umbrella, but at this, regardless of what it was, it, it was just like you just hindsight's 2020 said like, why was i so ungrateful right, or just exactly. not aware of that moment it wasn't a big deal and you can start talking to yourself negative in that way that makes sense so that umbrella yeah. is actually like a massive symbolic uh lesson almost even moving forward because yeah like, next time someone gives you an umbrella you're gonna be whether it's raining yeah. or sunshine you're gonna be holding that umbrella <laughs> yeah. open yeah but it's such a beautiful yeah. lesson there in many yeah. ways so it's not stupid yeah it's definitely thank you. not stupid 100 not. You. so that's i thank you for sharing that because i like specifying those guilty feelings, because I, I guarantee there's someone listening right now that feels guilt in many ways, whether it's, uh, um, you know, uh, could be a quote unquote bigger thing where you didn't, you weren't there for them, yeah. whatever. And there, are, but there are levels to that guilt, and especially when someone's gone and you had no resolution or time to see your dad at the end of life, that's going to eat you up. It doesn't matter yeah. how big or small it is. Yeah, yeah. I, not being able to say goodbye was the hardest part. And you had to work through. Yeah, that's what you said. That's something I have to work through. I mean, was that just another one of the many things to work through? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and actually, I do remember another thing I cried to my friend about was just, yeah, a big fight that I had had with my dad a few years prior that, like, I just felt so guilty about, you know, later after he died because I was like, why did I react that way, you know? But, um, yeah, not being able to say bye, like, it's strange, like, because my dad and I were really— close and in a way I almost feel like it would have been harder if we weren't because when he passed away like even though there were some things I felt guilty about and I wanted to say sorry for for the most part like we were good you know we talked all the time we had a good relationship so like I just know that like when he died like we had a good relationship and we had had a good relationship and even though we weren't really close until my adult life because my parents divorced when I was young but and I almost feel like that would have been harder if he was if we hadn't had had that relationship you know like I feel like I would have had even more regret I don't know it's it's a weird thing it's all a weird thing yeah but I mean I, it makes perfect sense what you're saying without yeah. personally having experienced that but what is the process or 
what has your process been of working through the fact that you didn't get to say goodbye to your dad? That it's been hard, and I guess, I guess I haven't fully worked through that yet. Like, I mean, I guess I've I've like talked to him, you know, like I'll talk to him sometimes, and especially on mushrooms. <laughs> um, so I guess I feel like I've gotten to say the things I didn't get to say. I did get to see his body the day after he passed away, and I just like told him like. I'm going to make you proud, you know. Um, I said that to his body. It was it was a dark, it was a dark, sad moment. But, yeah, I, I guess I continue to try to tell him the things that I wish I could have told him. But that was really hard, not just not saying bye. The last conversation I had with him was so dumb. Like, I had gotten this, like, I was coming down to Georgia, right, where I'm from, and my dad lived in, like, the country, sort of. And so he had told me, like, if you're going to take your dog off on hikes off leash, which I do all the time, like, out in the woods, he's like, people hunt here. You got to get her, like, a hunting vest. Like, they have orange vests for dogs to wear so they don't get, like, hunted. So, like, the day before my dad passed away, he's in the hospital. I expect him to come out of the hospital the next day. I FaceTime him. I'm like, look, Dad, I got her the vest. Like, I got her the hunting vest, like, showing my dad my dog's vest. And that's the last time I ever talked to him. I was just showing him this random thing I got for my dog. Like, What does that do to you in regards to that being the last conversation? Would you replay that? Um, well, I, I really like that vest now. I put <laughs> I place way too much value on my dog's vest. Yeah. I'm like, this is your hunting vest, and it's very special. That's adorable. <laughs> I'm probably never going to use it again, but, uh, yeah. Um, no, like, yeah, it just feels so random. It's like, what the hell? Like, that's the last conversation I had with my dad. You like, never know, huh? Yeah. And I think it's an important thing to talk about, like, when people, I don't know, what my dad passed away, he, he Cripped over his groceries. And it's just so fucking random. And, like, we actually, like, didn't, my brother and I, like, we didn't really want to tell people that at first. We still kind of don't because it's almost embarrassing. Like, in a way, it, it feels like, like, the, oh, he just fell down his back stairs. That's how he died. Like, I didn't want, I almost, like, was afraid people might make fun of that, you know? And then I actually posted a video on the internet about this a while ago and I said he tripped over his groceries, and I was so nervous people were going to, like, be assholes about it. But instead what I got was people saying, like, oh, yeah, my mom died, like, getting her teeth cleaned at the dentist. Like, like people also had these stories of their parents passing away in these really random ways that, like, I felt like it was good to share that because other people could relate and be like, yeah, sometimes you lose someone in this, like, really, like, dumb way but it's like good to share that because it makes other people feel like they're not as you know what I mean. Hundred percent. Because it's yeah. It's like having a uh, like I have scars on my body and some of them are like they're just not a cool story. Like yeah. I got this dope ass scar on my leg, but I'm like it's not an interesting story yeah, why yeah. I have this. But nevertheless, you still have that scar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just I guess like what I'm trying to say is when I got those comments of people like relating. To my experience, it made me feel really good that I had shared it because other people I feel like might have also felt, you know, it's like almost like you don't want to tell people because you don't want them to make fun of it. But it's like, no, let's talk about it because, yeah, sometimes someone dies in just like this 
unforeseen way. It's yeah, and those those are the ones that I question the most when it when it happens in, in an accident or whatever it is that especially seems like what you experienced such a routine thing. Yeah, is that knowing that your dad died in such a I don't I don't know how else to word it like in a, a simple everyday type of event that you would never think would end someone's life. Yeah. Was that another part of the process of getting over? Did you start questioning anything based on that? Yeah, totally. Like, um, so, yeah, he had so he had gotten his Instacart. He it was the pandemic, so he ordered his groceries online on Instacart, and the Instacart person put the groceries on the back stairs, which I'm pretty sure he had requested because he always used the back entrance. But like, yeah, I couldn't help but think like, oh, if I had just like called my dad earlier like maybe he wouldn't have stepped on the groceries exactly at that moment in that way you know like you start playing that yeah and then and then my family actually wanted they thought about like going after instacart for them placing the groceries on the stairs and I was like no 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 please like if I was that instacart worker and I learned that like where I placed the groceries, someone ended up tripping over and dying. Like that would ruin my life. You know, like I don't ever want that to get back to that Instacart worker. So I was like, no, we're not going after Instacart. Like, I don't want that to get back to the person who put the groceries there. You know, like, I don't know. It's just, but yeah, I, I played that over in my head so many times. I'm like, if I had just done one little thing differently, like I could have stopped it, you know? Isn't that weird? It's not, I guess it makes sense, but it's, it's a, it's a weird rabbit hole that our brain goes back to trying to solve something that already happened. Right. The what ifs are. Yeah. And when I was saying earlier how I I wouldn't let myself beat myself up right after he passed away, like this is what I wasn't allowing myself to do. I wasn't allowing myself to say like, oh, if I had done this differently, if I had come home sooner, if I had like just done this and he would still be here. Like I didn't allow myself to do that for a long time after he passed away. I just didn't let myself. And that was like, that helped me a lot. And then since then, now I have like had those thoughts, but I still, I try not to engage with it because I have to know like there is nothing I could have done. You know, you can't know what's going to happen. Absolutely not. Yeah. So what is it now that you feel like those thoughts are coming back? Um, I guess I haven't really had that kind of thought in a long time. The, the like, if I had done something differently, but... I guess, you know, it's something I'll always just kind of wrestle with. Um, it's always with us. Yeah. How long has it been? Uh, three years? Almost three years, yeah. So out of everything you've gone through, what did you feel like was the hardest part? I'm sure there's many hard parts. Um, just not being able to talk to him has been really hard because there's like, like I just want to talk to him, you know? He was so funny and he was so smart and... We just had really good conversations, and that's been the hardest part. Yeah. What's your favorite memory of your dad? Oh, I should have an answer for that ready to go, shouldn't I? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> or it doesn't be the number one favorite. Because I, I, I like to ask that question, yeah. whether you answer or not, because I feel like, you know, I, I had a guest on that brought that up. Because when, you, when I get into certain modes thinking about my my dad, I just – it's nice to to flip it and think about moments that were just good. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially when when your dad died like he did, I feel like, I don't know, you tell me, you, you think about that event more than anything else sometimes. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I guess my favorite memory or one of them is just like when I was a kid and he, like, I'd learned how to boogie board in the ocean 
And like he would take me out on the waves and I would, you know, catch a wave. And then I would always, once I got to shore, I'd give him like a thumbs up. (laughs) And like he loved that. And it was just our little thing, you know? So sometimes, I mean, this is so cheesy, but sometimes like I'll still look at the sky and I'll be like, I love that. Yeah. I'm like, I did it. I'm okay. Yeah. So with with a moment like that where you do that and you, have, you feel like you have conversations with them still, what are your beliefs in regards to what happens after yeah. we die? So I wasn't that spiritual going into it. I I, I believe that we – before he passed away, I, I believed that we continue to exist in some way after death, sort of. I didn't, I didn't really know. You know, I, I was agnostic, and I guess I still am in a way, but – I very much feel like he still exists in some way. I don't know where or how, but I do feel like there is a spirit realm where he exists. Something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of on board with that. I don't know what it is, or maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's something. Um, So it's it's only been not even almost three years. What do you feel like at this point? Because I feel like grief's going to continue to evolve. It hasn't been very long for you. What have you taken the most from this? What is the biggest lesson you've feel? What is the biggest lesson that you've taken from losing your father? I honestly, I think it's helped my relationship with death a lot. Like, and just kind of how I view life. Like, I guess I I see death now as a part of life. It's not as scary to me now that I've been through it and. I mean, I know we're all still afraid of dying, or I am, but not as much as I used to be because I just, yeah, I, I right after he passed away, I was thinking a lot about it, and I was thinking, like, I, I want to see it, like, not so much as a loss, but rather as, like, a life that I gained or experienced for a time. Like, so, like, for a time, like, my dad and my path like intersected in the universe and I got to know him and he got to know me. And that's like something that I gained, something that I had. And, and then now like I've moved on to another chapter, you know, like I like to see it that way. And I think just viewing life and death that way has just really helped me be more present and not so afraid of dying. Oh God, I actually really <laughs> like that. I, I, yeah. my dad for, I had my dad for 12 years, you know, and it's, uh, it's easy to look like, yeah, I got my dad taken away from me. I only had 12 years. Like I had all these other years with him because the hardest part for me is not having my dad now today yeah. as a man. Yeah. But it's a, it's kind of like a, a fantasy way of, or maybe the reality. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I'm just thinking, you know, okay, I have, you know, me and my dad, we had our, we had our 12 years together Yeah. and we, our lives intersected for that time period and now we continue on. Yeah. And then hopefully yeah. hopefully we'll meet again. Yeah. And if we don't, then shit. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? I, I really think you will. I really believe you will. Yeah. I think so. You know, I, I don't know. Well, no one knows. Some people have a belief and some people think they know, but I might as believe what you believe, whatever makes you feel good at the end of the day. And we're going to find out eventually, but I sure hope I see him again. And uh, I think what you said in regards to this life is death is life. This is mm-hmm. the most natural thing we're going to deal with. Yeah. And it is sad and we have, we have to get through it, but uh, we're just no avoiding it. Yeah. Which is wild. And it's, and I think it's really only sad for the people who are left behind. You know, it's sad for us, but for them, I don't know if I want to say they're at peace, but I do think they're existing in a way that's not sad, you know, like, 
And, and it just, it has helped me to view it that way. Like something that I had, you know, it's something that I got to have. Like, it's not like just something that was taken from me. It was like, no, I, I got to have this for a period of time, you know? Yeah, it sounds like a lens yeah. of gratefulness. Yeah. And I think that yeah. car- that'll carry with you the rest of your life and yeah. everything you do. Yeah, exactly. That's beautiful. So how, how are you feeling today, three years in? Um, pretty good. Uh, sorry, that sounded horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that is not horrible. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean like good, like I'm good. My dad died and I'm good. I didn't mean it like that. Um, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I moved to LA. So I had given up on comedy basically, or at least I felt that way. And then after he died, I was in Atlanta and started posting videos on the internet um, because I was like, let me try to do comedy again. This way I'll take like the internet content approach. And yeah, that's been fun. And it kind of that, that's what gave me the um, kind of confidence to move to LA. So I drove out here last October to to try again. So yeah. I love that. I gave you a little, uh, give you a little push this experience. Yeah. And uh, so do you find, uh, your experience with your dad, you know, do you find inspiration in your comedy through that experience? Yeah, I definitely, uh, <laughs> I definitely talk about it a good bit because I have, you know, some funny stories and just surrounding his death, you know, I have some dark jokes, kind of like the one you saw on Instagram, uh, best dad in the cemetery. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. I love that. I mean, it seems like, you know, I guess that it's going to continue to change, but I don't know. It seems like you have a good viewpoint on what you've gone through. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you're young. You still, you still got a lot of shit to figure out in regards to that process because I think it's going to take more time to whatever work, whatever it is you got. You feel like you have more stuff to work out? I do. Yeah, for sure. But there's no like timetable on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think so. But I think, yeah, I've been able to work through some of it or a good amount and um yeah it's funny like my the rest of my family that they're very conservative and um they don't they would never take mushrooms but like seeing it's just funny like I've kind of seen them in a lot of pain and I feel like I've been able to work through a lot of pain and I sometimes I just want to be like look I'm begging you to do mushrooms (laughs) please I believe that shit because, like I said, yeah. it really takes you to a different place. And um, yeah. some people might look down on that because, but if, but it work, it works for you. Yeah, you know I mean, it yeah. might, might not work for everyone. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I think, the, in my opinion, and I'm not uh, an expert at this anyway. But if anything, the microdosing is an easy way to start. It's not going to, yeah. it's not going to warp your mind into like oblivion. Right. And, no. You know, it could be you're going to be in control. Yeah. And it seems to have helped. From what I've been hearing, a lot of people with stress and anxiety and focus and this and that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, over long periods of time. So I mean, I, I personally like that approach over taking like medicating yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, what the hell do I know? That's just my opinion. Yeah. Um. So it's cool to hear that approach because I've heard it before and, yeah. and definitely you, it's the path that you've chose is, you know, you're going into it. It's macro as opposed to micro. Yeah. Um, but I've been in places <laughs> taking that stuff before. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's, it, you think about things differently. Yeah. And it, some, and it helps you important. think about things differently. And it's interesting. It's like, well, now I got all, you know, I got all into psychedelics and you wearing a tie dye shirt. Yeah. Oh, wearing yeah. A tie-dye shirt. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like obviously. Um, but yeah, like what happens is like the, I think it's called the default mode network of your brain, like, which is responsible basically for all the chatter in your brain that you're the voice that never shuts up that like they've not seen in brain scans is what happens is that goes quiet 
And so the other parts of your brain that don't usually talk to each other start to connect. So you can think about things in totally different ways that you've never thought about things. And so, and this is, I think with microdosing, like the more you do it, like your brain forms these new pathways. And so it's just really beneficial in that way. And then on a macrodose, like it's, it's just more intense, you know, but yeah, that's why like they, the neuroscience behind why you think about things in different ways is really interesting. And so all that stuff shows yeah. up on a brain scan. Yeah, it wow. shows up. Yeah. Well, there you go. Anyone that's down it, you know, yeah, look at no. some brain scans. Yeah, no, there's neuroscience. Um, the book I really like is How to Change by Your Mind by Michael Pollan that goes into the neuroscience and all that. And yeah. Very cool. I think that's, a, that's a, an approach that I think is is definitely way more mainstream now. It's quite not there yet. Yeah. But I, I think we're getting there where I think mushrooms are going to be around the co- they're on, on the counter and yeah, exactly. something that you can take because it's another alternative. I don't know, just because there's, there's plenty of ways out there to be healed. And I think it's cool to hear your approach because it worked for you. It might not work for someone else. Right. But I think it's part of the grief process is that exploratory method. Yeah. The exploratory mythology where you want to try things, see what works, what makes you feel good, what might not work is part of it. You gotta, but as long as you're taking those steps and it seems like you're taking those steps to work through it as opposed to staying stagnant. Yeah. So I commend you for that. Thank you. And yeah. uh, I wish you the best on the rest of your journey, whatever the hell that means. Um, I, I just really want to thank you for sharing this and being a part of the dead talks family. And, um, I don't know if there's, if there's anything else you want, any last words that you want to plug on it besides plugging yourself where they can find you or any last minute things you feel like you want to get off your chest. Uh, the mic's yours. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been really nice. And I'm on Instagram at laurashepherd.pdf. And yeah, I think that's all I want to plug for now because I, I post everything there. So <laughs> yeah, go check her out. Cause I, I came across her uh, on Instagram with some funny ass shit and especially the ones about grief. And, you know, I, I, I personally relate to the coping mechanism with humor. I think, uh, I think it's a healthy way to do it take your time with that don't force don't uh, force it down your throat but it feels good to me so thank you so much again Laura I really appreciate you and um, everyone else you know the damn thing thank you another episode of Dead Talks till next time bye